Everyone expresses faith in something. Everyone expresses faith in someone or something. No one can live a single day without exercising faith. No one. Every day we express, we exercise faith in something. When you sit on a chair, where you are seated now, you have faith that it will hold you. When you get in a car, you have faith that it will start. It's just like that. You just believe that it will start. When you send a text on your phone, you have faith that the message will go. You have faith in the service provider that they will get your message to the destination. You have faith. Every time you walk in a building like you came here this morning, you had faith in the architects. You had faith that the structure will stay safe. But we get disappointed when we put our faith into something or someone and then they fail to deliver what we expected of them. That means that the outcome of our faith depends primarily on its object. Let me say that again. The outcome of your faith depends on the object you put your faith into. In other words, your faith is only as good as the object in which you place your faith. If you put your faith in your poorly maintained car, sometimes it may fail to start. If you put your faith in your phone service provider, sometimes they have technical difficulties and your text, your phone calls don't go through. You know that. That's why Jesus commands that we carefully choose the object of our faith. And he said we should put our faith into the immutable, omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent, God. Why we call him omnipotent? Because he can do all things. He's got all the power. Why we call him omniscient? Because he knows everything. Mark eleven twenty two to 24. Jesus replied to them, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up a throne into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Jesus did not advise his disciples to believe. He did not ask them to believe. We can all believe in something. But he was specific about the object of their faith. He was Direct. The disciples were supposed to have faith in God. Not just to believe, but to believe in God. And then that faith would give them the power to move the mountains. He did not just say, believe and you shall move the mountain. He said, believe in God. And then you can speak to a mountain to move. He was specific about the object of their faith. But there was a condition to that faith. Believe in God. And then you can speak to these mountains. But they were not supposed to doubt. After believing in God, they were not supposed to doubt. 
Doubt was the number one enemy of their faith. Jesus said to them, believe in God, but do not doubt. If you believe and do not doubt, then you will speak to the mountain. So Jesus put doubt as the number one enemy of our faith. You've heard this before maybe, but I'm taking you somewhere. So I'm going to talk today about the four enemies or the four, the four attitudes that nullify your faith. The four attitudes that nullifies your faith in God. The first one is doubt. Doubt is feeds on ignorance. It feeds on ignorance. Let's read this story in Matthew 14, 25 to 31. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered to him, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter walked on the water. We don't know how many steps he made, but we know he did it. The Bible doesn't tell us how far Peter went, but it tells us that Peter did walk on water. Jesus recognizes the presence of faith in Peter. There was some faith in Peter. He said, you of little faith. You of little faith. The amount of faith did not change. Peter's problem was not the absence of faith in his heart. He was not limited by the size of his faith. What changed was the presence of doubt. L listen to me. Peter walked on water despite his little faith. He had little faith before the walk and the same amount of faith after the walk. Jesus did not say, why did your, 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 your faith shrink? The faith was the same. It was just little, but it was the same. Before walking and after walking, the faith was the same. He started to sink when he welcomed doubt in his heart. There was two forces in his heart. Doubt does not replace faith. Listen to this church. Doubt does not replace your faith. You can have faith and doubt in the same heart. It's like two forces pulling each other in different directions. Doubt nullifies faith. It doesn't remove it. Because it feeds on ignorance. It feeds on gaps, uncertainties, and questions without answers. Peter doubted when he saw the strength of the wind. I I'm taking you somewhere, church. The question in Peter's mind was not if he could walk on water with Jesus. No, Peter's question became, can I walk on water despite the wind? 
That was the question in his head. That's when he began to sink. Can I still work, walk on water with this kind of wind? And that question welcomed doubt in his heart. Most people believe that God can do. Most people believe that God can heal. They believe the Bible is true and all God's promises to be yes and amen. But they ask, can God do it for me? The question is not if God can do. The question is, can he do it for me? Does he love me enough to do it for me? Can it be done for me? Can, 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 can God take out this sickness in me? Can, can God heal me? I know he can heal, but can he heal me? I know God can restore, but can he restore my marriage? I know God can change people, but can he change my husband? Can he change my child? Can he change my wife? Can God change this one? I know he can, but can he do it in this particular situation? Can he do it here? That's our problem. Our problem most of the times as Christians is not to believe in God. Is the questions we ask ourselves. And that nullifies our faith. It nullifies our faith. Most people believe in God. But they have questions about what can do for them. And let their questions nullify their faith. Let me say something. It's okay to have doubt. But it's counterproductive to believe in your doubt. It's okay to have doubt. It is counterproductive to let them guide you. It's okay to think you can sink. It's okay to, to think that you can sink. But it's counterproductive to believe you will sink. It's okay to doubt. But believing in your doubt is dangerous. Because your doubt nullifies your faith. Your doubt can lead to knowledge if you seek answers. However, believing in your doubt nullifies it. It leads to unbelief. It leads to unbelief. And that was Peter's problem. He believed in his doubt. You, you can ask questions about God. That's fine. God is not afraid of our questions. Jesus was not afraid of questions. You can ask God, can you really heal this? That's fine. But don't believe in that question. Don't let your questions become your answers. Don't let your questions become your faith, the basis of your faith. It's okay to have questions. When you believe in your doubt, you welcome unbelief. And that will lead us to the second attitude that deals, that nullifies our faith. It is unbelief. It feeds on wrong beliefs. Now you have doubted. You did not end there. You believed in your doubt. That means you have wrong belief. You don't believe in the word of God. You believe in your doubt. Can someone believe their doubt? Yes, Peter believed his doubt. Mark 9, 17 to 24. Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked 
your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked the father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. This boy's father came to Jesus because he believed Jesus could heal. That's why he came. Why did he come? He did not come to test Jesus. He came because he believed. He, heard, he, he had heard of stories about Jesus healing and delivering people. And he came knowing Jesus can heal my son. He believed in the first place. That's why he came. When Jesus asked him, do you believe? He answered, I do believe. That's a proof that he believed. He added something. He said, help my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. He recognized the presence of belief and unbelief in the same heart. The father himself said, I believe, but help my unbelief. He understood that there were two forces in his heart. He believed in Jesus on one side, but on the other side, he believed in facts. On one side, he believed in Jesus' power. On the other side, he believed in circumstances. He could see how dangerous things were. He could see how powerful the sickness was. He needed his faith in Jesus to overpower his belief in the situation. That's why he said, help my unbelief. The unbelief was fighting the belief. He needed Jesus to help his faith to override facts. He needed Jesus to help him. Often, we fail to receive our miracle, not because we don't believe in God, but because we fail to let go of our belief in the circumstances. When mountains obstruct our view of God, we believe in what we see more than what God says, and that's unbelief. Unbelief is when your circumstances are just in front of you. You can only see them. You can't see God beyond it. You can't see the plan of God beyond it. You can't see God in heaven. You can't see God working around you. You can only see the circumstance. That is what we call unbelief. When you believe in your circumstance more than the power of God working around it. That is what was going on with this father of this son. When our pain, our hurt, our confusion overrides our faith, we give into unbelief. This man believed Jesus, but he could not let go of the fear, of the hurt, of the confusion, the overwhelming situation of his son. Put yourself in his shoes. What would you do? It was overwhelming. And Jesus called his disciples. 
you unbelieving generation. Why is Jesus calling his disciples unbelieving? I can imagine that the disciples were intimidated by the situation of the boy. No, look at this. Let's read this. Let's read this. 18. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. It was intimidating. And then Jesus comes and says, you unbelieving generation. When we believe in our doubt, we fail to see the power of God. When we believe in fact, our faith is shaken. When we are overwhelmed by our circumstances, we give in to unbelief. Unbelief is when fact override faith. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's where you are in your life. When you look at that situation, you don't think it can change. Maybe that's where you are. I don't know what you're going through. But the facts in front of you, they are screaming louder than the voice of God. The pain, the hurt, the overwhelm is screaming louder than the voice of God in your life. And it fights faith. And I'm not saying you don't have faith. You do believe God can do. The problem is, can he do this? Can he do this? Unbelief. When we believe in our circumstances, when the facts override our faith, when you believe in something other than God's word, you live in unbelief. But it is one thing to believe in the circumstances. It's another thing to expect it to happen, to anticipate it for hap- that it would happen. Stay with me, church. You can be afraid of something, but you wish it stays far, isn't it? Okay. So you, you know <laughs> that can happen, but it's not happening to me. <laughs> that is one thing. When you begin to anticipate that it's coming to you, it's another level. It's not unbelief. It's called fear. And fear is the third enemy of our faith. Fear. Fear is not the assessment of the situation. No. Fear is when you anticipate it to happen. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid of it? Because you think it's happening. We are afraid because we, 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 we feel like it's happening. You, you, you anticipate it that it's happening. It feeds on the anticipation of worse. The things will go from bad to worse. Every time you anticipate things to go bad, you are living in fear. This is not just an assessment. It's anticipation. Believing in your doubt breeds unbelief. Unbelief breeds fear. Unbelief breeds fear. Fear is not questioning. No. Fear is believing. It's another belief. It's the opposite of faith. If you believe God will come through, that is faith. If you believe things will go worse, that is fear. Fear is another belief. Peter did not only acknowledge the strength of the wind. He didn't say, oh, the wind is so strong today. No. 
No. When he saw the wind, he anticipated to sink. And that's when he started to sink. The strength of the wind made him believe he will sink. Fear. There is nothing wrong with acknowledging the extent of your problem. No, no. Faith does not ignore problems. Faith does not ignore problems. Faith assesses the situation well. It's okay for you to know what the doctor is saying about your health. No problem. No problem. Go and see the doctor. Go and do all the diagnosis. Faith does not ignore that. Faith does not ignore problems. Check your bank account. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to check. <laughs> Don't be afraid of knowing the, the minus that is there. <laughs> the problem for Peter was that he believed the threat would consume him. He welcomed fear. Fear is when you allow the threat to consume you. Fear is when you let your assessment of the situation override your judgment of God. When you assess your situation and you think of God, you think, ah, this situation is just, I don't think God can do this. I, I don't think God can do this. You, you, you start to doubt what God can do. You welcome fear. Your assessment of the, situations, your, of the situation overrides your judgment of God. Your assessment of God. That is when we welcome fear in our heart. When you expect the worst, you're living in fear. When you expect the best from God, you're living in faith. Look, God does not want us to spend our lives preoccupied with the next worst thing that may happen to us. What is it again? Is it your car this time? Or is it your wife this time? Is it your uncle this time? What is going to go wrong this time? Is it your business? And, and you keep expecting something to go wrong. Like when everything is going well, you look around you. No, I know something is happening, about to happen. I know something is about to happen. Why? And people say, Pe things always go wrong for me. That is a strong statement. That's a curse. Are you sure? You're still breathing and you're saying things always go wrong for you. Always really? David recognized the presence of danger when he said in Psalm 23, 4, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David recognized that even though I go through the darkest valley, the valley was dark. The valley was dark and David recognized the darkness of the valley. But he says, even though I'm in this darkest valley, it was not just dark. It was the darkest. It was not just a dark valley. It was the dark. He's been through many, many valleys. But this one was the darkest of them all. And still he said, I recognize the presence of God here. Why? Because that's what faith does. Faith recognizes the problem at the same time recognizes the presence of God. Faith recognizes the presence of 
evil and at the same time recognizes the presence of God. It recognizes the presence of pain at the same time it recognizes the presence of God. It recognizes the presence of hurt at the same time recognizes the presence of the healer. Faith does not ignore problems or minimize it. In fact, David amplifies the problem. He says, darkest. What is that? What is that? He's comparing this valley to other valleys. And they give it a higher value. <laughs> this is the darkest valley. But still, I will fear no evil. I will fear no danger. Not because I am great. Not because the valley is being changed for my benefit. No. Because of God. Because of God. He did not minimize the problem. In other words, I won't expect the worst in the most dangerous place. I will expect God to turn up. Oh, may God help us to receive this revelation. In your darkest valley, do not expect the worst. That is fear. Expect God to turn up. Why? Because God is with us. He says it. Because you are with me. Faith acknowledges the presence of God in the presence of evil. But some people, it's not just. They fear things may happen. It's not just they've anticipated from that it will happen. They now deny that God can do. You've been beaten by the situation so bad that you have reached the conclusion God cannot change this. That's a very bad place to be. You have been beaten by the situation so hard that you reach the conclusion there is nothing God can do about this. That is a dangerous place to be because that is now called disbelief. Disbelief. It feeds on disobedience. It feeds on disobedience. We say God cannot do this. Whenever you say God cannot, you are disbelieving. Matthew 13, 54 to 58. And went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished and said... Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Unlike previous cases, the faith of Jesus' hometown was not obstructed by the magnitude of their problem. No. They had an issue with Jesus. They had an issue with the object of their faith. 
They could not comprehend that the boy they saw growing up could be the son of God. They rejected the truth. Their biggest problem was familiarity. Familiarity. They were too familiar with the vessel God was using. Miracles in Jesus' hometown were not dependent on Jesus' power. Oh, I can't say Jesus went there and he felt weak. And his power could not do anything there. Why? Because the town was just too hard for him. No. It's not it was not dependent on Jesus' power. The miracles there were dependent on their receptiveness. Receptiveness. Miracles in Nazareth dependent on their ability to believe not only in God, but also in Jesus. These people believed in God. They were religious. They felt to believe in the one sent by God, Jesus Christ. That's what, that what the problem was. Can God use this? Ah, we have issues with the ways God answers. God, I want you to give me my husband, but he needs to come from this way. Lord, I want you to give me that job, but it has to be in Sydney. Lord, I want you to give me this land, but I want that one there only. Why give to God how he should answer you? We, we, we try to dictate how God will answer. And these people in this town, we're trying to dictate how God should appear. He should come in this form. He should come in this form and this form. And they obstructed their view of God by determining how should God appear. Disbelief is when we give up. Because God did not appear in the way we wanted him to appear. Because God did not answer the way we wanted him to answer. This belief is when we reject the truth of God. We reject the word of God. We reject what the Bible says about our situation. Because we believe so much into our situation than we believe in the word of God. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you have given up. Maybe you have given up. I, wa I want to encourage you today. Bring your faith to life. All you need is faith. L look, these four enemies are detrimental to your faith. It's okay to doubt, but don't believe in your doubt. Let your doubt lead you to the truth. Let your, your doubt lead you to Jesus, to his word. Ask questions, but ask questions to know. Don't believe in your questions. It's okay to assess your situation, but don't anticipate it to happen. Don't anticipate it to happen to you. No, it's okay to know that, okay, God, I've heard from the doctor. This is my situation. What do you say about this? What is your word over this? And I'm not saying bad things don't happen to good people. I'm just saying good people should believe in God through bad things. Keep trusting him. Keep trusting him. Trust his love. Trust his care. Trust his plans. Trust that he has a plan for you. Don't reject God because of the situation.